Welcome to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, be sure to visit us at cbctaylorville.com. Listen now as Pastor Chad delivers this week's message. So we've been learning how to travel light through this season, and by no mistake at all, we're trying to not only close out a year well, but also to begin a new year better than the way that we left the past year. So now in week five of the series called Travel Light, we've covered a bunch of different topics. We've talked about the things that, that hold us back, that become burdensome at times. And also we've talked about how sometimes we just need to let go of things or distractions. Week three, we talked about bitterness, particularly what people do to us that causes bitterness in our heart. Last week, Christmas Day, we talked about letting go of control. And today what we're going to talk about is letting go of our past. And the thing that I know for sure about letting go of our past, we all have a past, don't we? We all have things that we wish we wouldn't have done. Like, for instance, this past week, uh, our family, we went to a, I'm not going to tell you what the restaurant is. I can just tell you on some of the reels that went out and on TikTok, it was TikTok famous because somebody said this place would change their life. So you can fill in the blank. Some of you know what that reference is. So we went into this restaurant. And I've only gone there a couple times and gone in and, and kind of followed the menu. And it's kind of weird. The, the menu, the, the, there's no real menu. It's all on the wall. And look on the wall and you order what you want. And then you go there and you tell them what you want in your food. And, and, I, and I told them what I wanted. And I looked down and there was a green sauce and there was a red sauce. And, and I tend to like some hot things, not crazy hot things like ghost pepper challenge. You guys can have all of that that you want. I want no part of that. But... Uh, some of you, you know, you've, you've done that. You know what I mean. But I'm sitting down. I'm like, or rather, I'm sitting there. And I'm like, yeah, so I'll, I'll take some of that red sauce. And I put the red sauce in there. And I mix it all up. And it looked pretty good. And went and sat down. And, like, I just knew the very moment that I put that into my mouth, that that was one of the worst mistakes I've ever made in my life. Not really. But, I mean, it was terrible. I, like, as soon as I put that in my mouth, I was like, I totally underestimated how hot that was going to be. And, of course, then I know that water doesn't do much in a moment like that. So the best thing you can do is find milk. Not a drop of milk in that place. Not a drop of milk anywhere. I'm looking at the menu. I'm looking for any milk products. The only thing they have is sour cream, but that tends to be gross, so I stayed away from that. Like, I didn't know what to do. So I'm just, like, gulping water, gulping water, gulping water. And I'm thinking, this is a mess. I know what I'll do. I'll just eat around where this red sauce was because apparently it's like fire in liquid form. So I'm eating around and I'm eating under, but I'm still picking up some of that, that spiciness and then more of the spiciness and then it's growing and then it's growing and then it went down my esophagus and it landed in my stomach and then it was just, you can picture how bad that was. And it was just burning in my stomach and I'm thinking, why in the world did I do this to myself? I had no one to blame. I ordered the food. I, I, I should have asked a question about the sauce, apparently. And, of course, that's just such a mild example. Not the sauce, but that's a mild life example of something doing something that you regret. But at the end of the day, we have a lot of heavier things that we regret, don't we? We have a lot heavier things that, that stick with us. I like That stuck with me. I remember that. I will probably never go back to that restaurant, and I would absolutely never get that, that sauce again. 
But yet we have things that have happened in our life that we've actually done to ourselves that we can't blame somebody else for because we know what we did and the time and place and the people involved. And it still stings. And many of us don't know what to do with past things that we know that we've done. We've tried to explain it away and blame it away and maybe blame God or blame other people, but yet we still feel the burden of responsibility on our shoulders because we did that to us. Because we did that. When everything is stripped away, we did that. But here's some great news for you. No matter what you've done, God offers a second chance and a third chance, and a fourth chance, and a fifth chance, and more than that, if need be. That God offers you and I a second chance, and I want you to know, this is a second chance church. We give people the benefit of the doubt. If they've made a mess of things, we understand that, yeah, they may have done that, but yet we've done our own thing. We've made our own mistakes. So we're not going to close the door on somebody else because of what they've done either to us or to somebody else. Instead, we're going to be a second chance church because we serve a second chance God. Amen? We have a very clear example of this in the scripture. Let's just jump in. Uh, This is actually, it should be on your card right here at the top of your card. It's not the main passage, but the, the, where we're going to begin, just a clear example is Peter. And we're going to jump into this, the, the context of this in just a moment, but I'll, I'll set it up in this way. Jesus said, and his disciples, they're in the upper room and they're eating the last supper. He had just washed their feet, all of their feet. They're sitting down having a, just, just a great time of fellowship together. Jesus notices that that Judas is is maybe a little nervous in the room. That Judas is is just kind of like he's maybe mentally preoccupied uh, in the room. But Jesus knows everything that Judas is about to do. And he excuses Judas to go do what Judas desired to do. Judas made a deal that night after he was excused from the upper room. He made a deal that night. And the, the, the deal would be to betray Jesus and to see Jesus go through essentially six different trials that all should not have happened. They were all unjust. And all the trials, they all had their own issues, but six trials, one after the other in a short amount of time at night. And all of this was so that Jesus would ultimately be crucified. But that night too... One of the things that that Jesus said after Judas makes the deal to betray Jesus, while Jesus and the disciples are all still together, Jesus tells Peter that Peter is going to disown him or deny him three times. You can imagine how, how shocked Peter had to have been in that moment, like, not me. No, 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 I'm, I'm in it. I'm in it till the end. And of course, Jesus knows the future, and he knows the past, he knows the present, and he knows exactly that moment in time that that Peter is going to learn here shortly. After all the the trials and all of these, uh, in in the midst of, of all of this chaos, this is what uh, Jesus 
said when he's interacting with Peter. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken before the rooster crows today. You would disown me three times. Jesus knew something about Peter that Peter didn't know about himself. He thought that he had an inner resolve, that he was going to be in it, that there was no way that that was going to happen, that he would never deny Jesus because he had been with Jesus and he was tight with Jesus. As a matter of fact, he was on the inner three with Jesus. There's no way that this could be true of Peter. But it was true of Peter. Oh, it was so true of Peter. That Jesus later that day would die of crucifixion, of course. In the middle of these trials, Peter did the very thing that he thought he would never do. He disowned or he denied Jesus three distinct times. In this, when, when Peter disowns or he denies Jesus, as different translations say, He's denying his calling, the calling that God has put on his life. He's also, he's denying his potential. He's denying that everything, everything that Jesus had done for him. And all the miracles, all the teachings, when he denies and disowns Jesus, he is acting as if they never happened. Oh, church, it's so easy for us to have spiritual encounters with God and then to have something to shift in our being and then for us to live as if nothing happened at all. It is so easy for us to be on the the spiritual mountaintop when everything is going well and yet when there's a time of testing and our faith is being tested and our resolve is being tested, it is so easy for us to be like Peter, to disown Jesus, deny Jesus and walk away from him as if we were never on the spiritual mountaintop at all. But what do we do after that failure? What do we do after we we make the mistake of our lifetime? What do we do in in recovering from from that the outburst of anger that divided your family two or three years ago? What do you do in that moment? And you remember that moment, that, that outburst that was out of control and you did it. What do, you, what do you do when, to try and recover from those, those harsh words that seem to just echo down your hallways because they come out of your mouth repeatedly? How does one recover from that bad financial decision that sent your, your family into a spiral? How does one recover from these things? How does one recover from walking away from God for months at a time because it was inconvenient for them to follow Jesus? What does a person do in that instance? What does a person do that dissolves and there's divorce and the kids are they're in the middle and, and you've, you've tried to rationalize why it should be done and now you're on the other side of it and you realize you made the mistake of your life? What do you do? Where is God in that? What do you do when, when you're addicted to pornography and you can't get away from it and in every day, and it seems moment by moment, you just can't wait to get back to that screen to look at those pictures again and again and again? But what do you do? And where is God in the midst of that? 
If God can work through someone like Peter after Jesus tells Peter that he's going to deny him, and then Peter's like, no, you got the wrong guy, it's not me, and then he, he does the exact same thing that he says he would not do. We see that there's a God of a second chance who offers us a way sometimes over and through the things that we've done. So we don't have to live in our past, but that we can, by his grace, step into his future for us. You see, in these moments after these failures, I can guarantee you that the enemy is going to be whispering some things certainly to you. One of the things that the enemy will be whispering to you is this, you are unforgivable. What you did is unforgivable. There's no way you can get out of this. You can't weasel your way out. You can't explain your way out. You can't blame your way out. You cannot get, that's what the enemy wants you to believe. The enemy wants you to believe that you are unforgivable, that you're stuck. Stuck like the way David felt in this moment in Psalm 38 verse 4. This is what it says. David, David wrote, he says, my guilt overwhelms me. It is a burden too heavy to bear. This is a a psalm of David, and it's believed that this is after his son Absalom had revolted against him. And the reason why Absalom had revolted in the first place is because David was absent as a father. And there were issues in David's family, in his family structure, and they did not go addressed, and that's on David. And now David is feeling the weight of the world, and the enemy is whispering this to him. And in the way that he explains it, he says, my guilt overwhelms me. It's the guilt of, I believe it's the guilt of, here's what I should have done. I should have been speaking into my son. I I knew that there was an issue in the family. I knew I should have done something about it. And yet, the enemy whispers to him, he says, you are unforgivable. And the way that David feels is the way he writes. In Psalm 38, verse 4, he says, my guilt overwhelms me. It is a burden too heavy to bear. Not only does the enemy say that you're unforgivable, he also says you're unlovable. He also says you're unlovable. With accusations of saying there's, there's, there's no way that you're worthy of the love of God. I mean, after all, look what you've done. The enemy always wants us to go back to Genesis 3, verse 7, and this is what the passage of Scripture says. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together, and they made coverings for themselves. That may seem a little odd to you, but here's what's going on. After their sin failure, they're wanting to hide, and it's because of shame. And the whisper of the enemy is this. You should be stuck in your past, and you should wallow in shame. Because the enemy says, you are unlovable. It's not what God says, it's what the enemy says. Another thing that the enemy says is this. Not only does he say you're unforgivable, you're unlovable, he also says you are useless. That that, that God's plan for you, sorry, you just bypass, bypass God's plan because of what you've done. This morning I thought about this, this verse as I was looking over my message, and actually I told my daughter this verse too after she left to go back to college. I, I told her this. We were talking on the phone, and she was asking why this thing happened. I said, honey, you need to read Romans eight twenty eight, and this is what it says. And we know in all things God works for the good of those who love him, 
who have been called according to his purpose. So God is working. But the enemy wants to say, you're useless, sorry, you're off of God's plan. That's been passed on to somebody else. That's what the enemy wants you to believe. That's what the enemy was wanting Peter to believe after his denial that he would be stuck. But I want you to know this. If you can't let go of your past, you can't take hold of your future. If you can't let go of your past, you can't take hold of your future. When I was thinking through this passage, sometimes I think in word pictures, and and it's kind of an odd thing for me, but I was thinking of how many different movies there is someone who, they can hold on to something, but they're holding on with their own strength, but they know that they can hold on forever, and then just out of the corner of, of the screen, there's a hand that's reaching out, right? You've seen this, right? If you've, you know what I'm talking about, raise your hand. It's like there's a hand that reaches out, and this, this hand, but the person has to choose to, to not live by their own control anymore and hang on to that thing. Instead, trust the hand that's reaching out to them, because the hand that's reaching out to them is the hand that will bring them to safety, that's God's hand. You and I, we can, we can live in our past, but we can't step into the future God has for us. We can hold on to our past and we can, we can wallow in all of those things, but if we do so, we can't be two places at once. We'll either cling to our past or we will just hold on to God as God holds on to us so we can step into the future. I'll say it in a different way. You can't get to where you want to go while looking in the rearview mirror. You can't get to where you want to go while looking in the rearview mirror. And although you can't change your past, the good news is this God can change your future. You can't change your past. Sure, you can right some wrongs, but you can't take away all the feelings that you have because of the things that you've done. You can't. But we have a very clear example today in the scripture of not only Peter's failure, but now I invite you to go to John chapter 21, verses 15 and 17 is what we're going to look at, and I'll set this passage up. So after the Last Supper, after the betrayal of Jesus, after Jesus was arrested, after Peter's denials, After all of that, after people watched Jesus die publicly on the cross, that it wasn't, he he didn't die in some back room somewhere and then somebody come out and said, Jesus died. No, he died publicly on a cross. His trials were, many of them were public events. And now after his, his death and after his glorious resurrection, amen? After his resurrection, Jesus had showed himself a few times to the disciples. And specifically, he showed himself to the disciples in certain ways and things that he said. It's an amazing thing. But after all of this, Jesus isn't done teaching. Jesus isn't done ministering. And Jesus says this to Peter. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of God, Do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, verse 16. Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? 
Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Notice how Peter responds. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. Jesus responds again, feed my sheep. Notice after the denials, Jesus offers Peter a second chance, and he does it in a very specific way. Notice how many denials were there earlier in the passage that we read. How many? Three. Now, how many times did Jesus say to Peter, do you truly love me? Three. That's not by mistake. Notice how Peter responds. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time. Peter was hurt because Peter knew the connection between what Peter had done and what Jesus is saying. In this passage, it's it's quite interesting to me because there's actually... The word love is used over and over and over, but there's actually two different references of the word love it, the word love, uh, the, the Greek word agape is used several times, and it means self-sacrificing love. In other words, Peter, are you ready to sacrifice for me? Are you, are you ready now? Are you ready now? And Jesus says, feed my sheep. D- do, you truly, do you truly love me, Jesus says, more than these, more than these people, more than anything else? He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, verse 18. And Jesus, the first time, says, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said in verse 16, Simon, son of God, do you truly love me? The word agape again, self-sacrificing love. But yet on the third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And that word is different. It's a word that means brotherly love or more of like a friend love. This, I think, in such a beautiful and magnificent way, this is Jesus reinstating Peter. This is a way that Jesus is reminding Peter that your past isn't going to define your future. That there has been a shift inside of you, and this shift, and in, in by Jesus asking these questions... It is letting Peter know of this shift. I know that we live in a a day and age where there's hypersensitivity. If anyone gets their feeling hurt, they think that that the world is against them and, and people aren't as resilient as they used to be. I'm sorry for the generations that are following mine. You're not resilient. As a generation, you're not. You're not nearly as resilient as the generations before you. You're just not. You can be, but you're not. I want you to know whether, if you're of generations that you're younger than me or if you're older than me, I want you to know this for sure. Jesus is more concerned with our lasting healing than our short-term feelings. Jesus is more concerned with your lasting healing than your short-term feelings. Notice the way that Peter responds here after 
uh, Jesus goes through the third time. Peter was hurt when Jesus asked him the third time. Peter had to hurt. That is a short-term discomfort for something that God was going to shift for his destiny and for his calling and to reinstate Peter into being the man of God that Peter had the potential of being. And in that moment, he had to feel what he had to feel so God could continue to set him up and position him to live out the rest of his destiny and calling. God still does the same thing today. He is more concerned with your lasting healing than your short-term feelings. Sometimes you have to feel bad about the sins you've committed so you can live for God. You can't just walk away as if you've done nothing because then the grace, for, the grace that is offered for you won't mean as much to you. I'm not saying you need to wallow in your sin. You need to wallow in your regret and you need to wallow in shame and you need to wallow in guilt. I'm not saying that at all. But we have to remember what it was at times that we've done so we remember how great the mercy of God has been in our life. Because when we remember how great the mercy of God has been on our life, not only does it deepen our walk with Christ and make us more dependent on Him, it also makes us more merciful to other people. Then we not only become a people of the second chance, we allow other people to be people of the second chance. Are you tracking with me so far? This is one of the things that has to define us as a church into the future. We have to be people of the second chance and to give people a second chance. We need to not only wallow in our past, or not to wallow in our past, but we need to give our past to Christ, accepting the mercy of God in our life because of the gospel message, and then be people of the second chance. But Jesus is always more concerned with your lasting healing than your short-term feelings. So, Jesus sometimes works through an individual, and maybe that individual says something that just doesn't feel right to you. Maybe because it's convicting to you, because you're stuck in your sin, and that a friend loves you, and he's actually a messenger of God. She's a messenger of God to tell you the truth about you. And they were sent there by God. So perhaps instead of buffeting when somebody comes up to you and says something that doesn't feel right, maybe you need to listen and lean in a little bit more to say, maybe this is actually the mouth, of, you know, the, the, this is coming out of the mouth of God because it's a friend that's loving me and that cares for me and they actually care about my future more than they care about my short-term feelings. We have to be the type of people who aren't so thin-skinned. And we have to be the type of people who aren't so thick-skinned that we can't receive a word of truth from someone else. Instead, we have to be the type of people who give people a second chance, absolutely, because us being people of a second chance, but that doesn't mean that we ignore sin. It doesn't mean that we ignore things that are wrong in one another's lives. Because Jesus, just as we should be, more concerned with lasting healing than short-term feelings. But you can't let go of, of, of your hurtful past alone. So I'm going to give you two steps, two distinct steps. I'm going to build them out. 
You can't let go of your hurtful past alone. This isn't just a matter of you just deciding today, I'm just gonna do this. Just as if you're not saved because you made a decision, you're not saved because of just what you decided in that moment. God draws a person to salvation and God draws a person to to live in that salvation that he's given. Step one is this. You need to close the door on your past. You make the decision to close the door on your past based upon God's word. Close the door on your past. Some passages and truths to go with that. 1 John 1, 9 says this, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That if we confess our sins to him, not just one time, part of my, my morning rhythm is I begin with confession to God. Being specific about sins that I've created. And sometimes I just have to be general because maybe a sin doesn't come to mind. But I begin my prayer my prayer time with God, when I pray, I begin with times of confession because of this truth that I'm telling you right now based upon 1 John 1, nine, That I want to be a person who confesses to Him knowing that, that He's faithful and that He's just and that He will forgive my sins and He will cleanse me of all unrighteousness. I want to make sure that that on a daily basis, that I am one with the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ. The beautiful thing is this. God's grace is bigger than your sin. God's grace is bigger than your sin. When we think about our sin and we think about our past and think about the thing that we've done and we're looking in the rearview mirror and it looks gigantic. You know what? God's grace is larger. It's bigger. It's more expansive. It's more powerful. Notice what Peter says. In verse 17 and beyond, the third time, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know, what's the next two words? All things. He says, Lord, you know all things, and you know that I love you. It's like, you know all things. He knows about God, that God knows all things. And he also knows the depths of Peter's heart to know that Peter really loves him. And that those denials were, were, they were impactful, but they didn't define the rest of Peter's life. You may be thinking, well, pastor, you just don't know my story. You don't know about that abortion. You don't know about that. You don't know about that addiction. You don't know about the divorce or multiple divorces. You don't know about the kids that won't talk to me anymore. You don't know about that financial collapse that happened. You don't know about that, that night that I was mad and lonely and, and I went on Tinder. You don't know about that. You're right, I don't. I don't. I don't have to. God does. And God knows. Just as Peter 
recognized in that moment as he's, he's feeling the effects of what he's done and he's, he's feeling that in the moment. But, but Jesus is more concerned with his, his destiny than, than his feelings in the short term. And Peter says, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. What's important is not that I know everything. What's important is that you tell Jesus everything. He's the one who forgives sins. He's the one who's the mediator between you and the Father. He's the one who, is, who offers eternal life. He's the one who offers the peace that you long for. He's the one who offers the, the second chance. He's the one who, in the short term, it may not feel right, everything that's happening, but he's the one who gives you a God-blessed future. So you're right, I don't know all those things, but God does, and God cares, and God hears, and maybe the best thing I can tell you is this, God is near. God is near. Some passage, passages of Scripture. I'm going to go through these quickly. But to help us close the door on our past, how can we do this? We do it based upon these truths. Galatians 4, 7 says this. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. John 1, 12 through 13, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn not with the physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God, that they're born again, as Nicodemus would find out in John chapter 3, just two chapters later after this. 1 John 3 1, not on the screen, it says this See how very much our Father loves us, for He calls us children, and that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know Him. Another passage of Scripture, Romans 8 16, says this For His Spirit, the Spirit of God, for His Spirit joins with our Spirit to affirm that we are God's children. When God saves a person, He saves them of their past sins, their present sins, and their future sins. And God saves, and God keeps those who are saved, saved. Why is this true? Because your standing with God is determined by the relationship, not rules. Your standing with God is based upon the relationship. The same relationship that I just spelled out to you in all these different passages, reminding you and me, if we are in Christ, we are children of God. And we have a perfect heavenly father, just as, as, as a good parent does. Even if our kids disappoint us, we don't stop loving them. We may be disappointed by their actions, but a good parent does not stop loving their children. Our Heavenly Father, even more so, loves us. And your standing, if you're in Christ, your standing is not determined by rules. It is determined by a relationship. 
that, that he makes us children of God. Not that we make ourselves children of God. He makes us children of God. And the Spirit of God affirms in us with a new spirit, a Holy Spirit, that we are indeed children of God. Therefore, we did nothing to earn our standing and our place in the family of God. So listen to this. We can't do anything to lose it. You can't do anything to lose it. Because salvation wasn't based upon you to begin with. So after we close the door, we need to step into the future. We need to step into the future. We close the door and we step into the future. See, God saves you from your past so you can step into your future. God saves you from your past so you can step into your future. And it's amazing to me now looking at the benefit of history and we not only history but also the Bible you can go into to Acts and you can see that after Jesus ascends to the Father Peter is the one who's first in charge of the early church. The same person who denied Jesus the same person who had the, the, the short-term discomfort and he felt bad because of what he had done. But it's the same one that, that Jesus took him through that journey because Jesus reinstated him. And although Peter felt like maybe he just he walked away from the, the calling that God had for him, God's call for Peter was still there. And you can read it in the scriptures. You can read it. You can see Peter being the first among equals. He's the leader in the early church. The one who looked like he was going to walk away from Jesus is there. And he actually dies for the faith. And those of us who've, who've been able to maybe travel can even see even the historical significance of this. In, within Catholicism, of which I don't support the theology whatsoever, but I've been to the Vatican in St. Peter's Basilica. It's beautiful. Again, I don't like the, the theology's not right, but it is a beautiful space dedicated to Peter's life. Dedicated to Peter's life. Because Peter heeded Jesus' message when Jesus said to him over and over and over, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. Peter did what God wanted him to do. See, Peter was living out an amazing story, a God story all through and through. But I believe that you and I are living that out also. And your story is not a story about your failure. It's a story about God's victory. Your story is not a story about your failure. Isn't it time that we close the door on our past? Isn't it time? 
God believes that it's time. Isn't it time that we not only close the door on our past, isn't it time that we also step into the future that God has for us? Isn't it time? Isn't it time that we stop looking in the rearview mirror and then wonder why we're not going anywhere? Isn't it time? Isn't it time that we accept the God of, of second chances? Isn't it time? Isn't it time that we stop letting the offenses of other people hang on their shoulders and we just give them a second chance too? Because we're indeed people of a second chance? Isn't it time that we just let go of our past? I believe it's time. God's offering this for you today.